Our reading today is taken from Galatians chapter 4, from verses 4 to 8. And forgive me, I've got a bit of a cold, so if I sound a little bit foggy. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we've been doing a series on journeys. Um, we, we got to two of them. We looked at Abraham, and then we looked at Jacob. Last week, we were on a bit of a detour because it was Mission um, Sunday. And we're on a detour again, I'm afraid, this week as we think about harvest time. And today, I'd like to explore with you during this harvest Thanksgiving. So during this har- harvest san- Thanksgiving, I'd like to to explore with you God's generosity. God's generosity at harvest time, and then we're going to explore our redemption and God's generosity, and then finally imitating the generous God. I wonder, do you have an outside space that refreshes and inspires you? Perhaps you could turn to the person next to you. What's theirs? You you tell um, yours to them as well. An outside space. Good. Well, would anyone just like to call out what their outside space is? Mountains. Yeah, anyone? Garden. Yeah. The sea. Yes. The woods. Ah, wonderful spaces. To be honest, I struggled to come up with just one. I took the family down to North Devon this summer, and wonderful down there, the beaches and the rivers flowing across the moors. Um, A few times I've been out to the Alps snowboarding, and it's just breathtaking, isn't it, when you get taken to the top of the mountain on the lift, and there's the vista there, a mountain range, awe-inspiring. But at the moment, I would say that my favorite outside space is our very own old Serum, the hill fort that we're in the shadow of, and which for thousands of years has been the middle of an agricultural community. And it's incredible to think that hundreds of years ago, crops were gathered from fields probably underneath our feet and gathered into this settlement. And then after the building of the cathedral church there, it's likely that people gave thanks for the produce of harvest time. An old serum and the rich fields around it demonstrate Psalm 65. You, Lord, care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. And these words, bounty and abundance, are things we find at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis where God speaks and mountains are produced, and the land comes forth, and there's plants and animals, and after every day, God says, isn't it good? Isn't it good? And then when the earth is full of scenes and sights and sounds and color and sunsets and crops, only then people are placed in the midst of this garden. 
And it says that there's this person, Adam, in the garden. And one day, Adam is walking along, and he sees someone that makes him go, whoa, man, whoa, man. And there's Eve, his bone of his bones, and they become an item, this loving couple in the middle of this garden. And then God says, this is really good. And Tim Mackey of the Bible Project says that in creation, it's like God hosts this really good party with good hospitality and plenty laid on. And you know what it's like when you go to a good party, when there's plenty, people can just relax and enjoy people's company and what's there. Well, at Stratford Subcastle School, this term, they've been exploring the theme of generosity, and I've been going in and doing assemblies, and so I looked up the background of the word generosity, and it's a Roman word, generosus, and originally that was just for Roman officials and Roman royalty who had a lot but gave a lot, and our word genes comes from the same root. This is about whose you are the line you're in, your DNA. Well, the harvest service at um, St. Lawrence was this uh, Wednesday, and the pupils chose a prayer by an archbishop called Elder Camara, who was archbishop in uh, South America. And this is, let me give. Lord, isn't your creation wasteful? Fruits never equal, the seedlings abundance. Springs scatter water. The sun gives out enormous light. May your bounty teach me greatness of heart. May your magnificence stop me being mean. Seeing you a prodigal and open-handed giver, let me give unstintingly, like a king's son, like God's own. And Elder Camara was um, based in Brazil of course, South America, a land of plenty, but conflict and, and lack a real reality there. But he was interested in the slums, in the shanty towns of Rio de Janeiro, and he went into these slums, and he got people together reading the gospel stories of how Jesus interrupted people's lives and healed people and tax collectors and fisher folk, changed lives, and actually exploring these stories brought some change about in these shanty towns, and he was really proactive in seeking practical help for them as well. And literacy went up, and people started businesses, and in one of the toughest areas on earth, color came back, and goodness came back. And in his prayer, Elder Camara writes, may your bounty teach me greatness of heart. Elder Camara used his talents and time generously to help others, let me give like a king's son, he wrote. It's like he's saying, let me believe that I've got some of that generous DNA in my bones as well. Well, when God redeemed us through Christ, he was generous. He was lavish. And I'd like to suggest we did end up with some of God's DNA with us. Paul wrote to the Galatians, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. The law is good, isn't it? The Ten Commandments. I want to live in a world where people don't steal or murder or lie. That sounds good. But the New Testament, looking back at the giving of the law, considers it diagnostic. The law is really good, but the human condition is such 
that we all break it at some point. The worship leader, Phil Wickham, has a song, Living Hope, which starts, how great the chasm between us. God's loving and holy, and there's a holy law, and I at some point have broken that holy law. So there is a gulf, a chasm, and we're all born under the law, and our human choices separate us from life with God and from our being what we were really made to be. But God sent his son, born of a woman, also born under the law. And that word, uh, oh, to redeem those under the law. This is Jesus, to redeem those under the law. And that word for redeem means to buy back for oneself. The Bible is a love story. It's the story of a father seeking uh, an, a spouse, a father seeking a, a spouse for his son. It's the story of a son wanting children for a father, and the cross is the center of that story. It's where the high price necessary for lives that have been tarnished by sin and limited, that was paid to bring back people into Jesus's kind of life and restored in God's narrative. 1 Corinthians 6 says, you were bought with a price. Well, Martin Luther, who we probably know very um, involved in the Reformation in Germany, he got this notion of God's redemption and God's generosity really slowly. So he was out one day walking and a thunderstorm set in and it was a life-threatening one. And he said, God, if you'll save me from this thunderstorm, I'll, the biggest thing he could think of was, I'll join a monastery. And the thunderstorm abated and he joined the monastery, but he found it so hard. These rules that he needed to follow and trying to earn acceptance and trying to work up enough goodness for God. And he had a breakdown, and he left the monastery. And sometime later, he became a tutor in, in a university, and the printing press was just sort of getting going then, and he was asked to do a course on Romans. And so he went to the printer, and he said, can you do me a book with the Greek, but could you set up your printing gear so that we've got some space under each line? And then he, he got these um, books, some for his students, some for him. They went through it together, looking at every word, every phrase. And as they went through it, Luther just realized, wow, there's this righteousness that comes from God, that he redeems us through his grace, through his generosity. God sent his son to redeem those under the law. And the passage in Galatians continues that we might receive adoption to sonship. And that word adoption means placed as a son. Legacy was important in the upper echelons of Roman culture. A Roman official who had no sons would want to pass on their estate, and so they would adopt a son for that purpose. That's true of a couple of the well-known emperors. To clarify, Galatians 3 says the full benefits of salvation have come to male and female. So this uses the language of sons, but actually Paul wants his hearers, both female and male, 
to just have a look at something that's happening in Jesus. This notion of adoption in Roman culture where an outsider would come into the family with full inheritance. That was something that was happening in Christ that Paul wanted them and us to see. We've been bought with a price. Now we have a new identity, part of God's family, part of God's legacy in the earth. And when the storms are blowing in our lives, which they will, this is a truth to hang on to, that we've actually been given this adoption by God. In Christchurch Cathedral in Oxford, there is a flagstone in the cathedral to John and Charles Wesley, a dedication, leaders of the revival in the 18th century, ordained in this cathedral, it says. And John Wesley um, had quite a strict upbringing, and then when he went off to university, he took his faith really seriously, and they started this thing, the Holy Club, and lots of people were involved, quite well organized. They'd get together every day to read the Bible, challenge each other, talk about it. They'd feed people in the prison and on the outskirts of the town of Oxford. But after a few years, John was called on a mission to America. And going over to America, there was a massive storm. And the windows got blown in, everything got soaking wet, and people nearly died. And John Wesley wrote in his diary, I was actually so afraid of dying. And it sort of flummoxed him that he's had this assurance. He thought, I thought I was meant to have this assurance in Christ. Why is my death so sort of such a problem for me, he wrote. When he landed, a German pastor in the way into Georgia said, do you know that Christ has saved you? And John said, well, I know that Christ has saved the world. And then this pastor said, but do you know that Christ died for you and do you know Christ? And these questions left him puzzled. And he spent some time in America, and then on the way back out of America, someone asked the same sorts of questions, challenged him, confused him. A little bit later, he went to join a prayer meeting in London, in a, um, Aldersgate Street. There was a group gathered reading Luther's epistle to the Romans, just reading the preface that opens up this notion of God giving us his righteousness. And about three quarters of the way through the preface, something happened to John. And he wrote afterwards in his diary, assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine. And he said he felt his heart warmed. And in the same week, Charles had a similar kind of thing happen to him, where he just had this fresh notion that, that Christ had died for him. And he wrote the hymn, And Can It Be?, which goes, no condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed with righteousness divine. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? Well, we've explored God's generosity at harvest time and our redemption being down to God's generosity. And now I'd like to look at how we can imitate our generous God. Well, John and Charles and the little group that they were part of um, came to this fresh revelation of God's generosity, his grace, and it actually fired them into a lifestyle of generous giving with a particular focus on the marginalized and the poor. 
And in one particular parish in London, they set up poor relief to feed people who weren't being fed, similar to the food bank. Um, they opened a health clinic. They opened a school. They got people together studying the word on a Saturday night, looking at how to apply it to their lives. And John Wesley wrote, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, as long as you ever can. They had this generous lifestyle. It was in their DNA. And it's in our DNA, I would say, as part of God's redeemed people. Um, about 15 years ago, I was invited along to a service in Shaftesbury, and I was living near there at the time, and the, there was a talk uh, by a couple called Moses and Bex, and do we have the next slide, the child of hope? And Moses and Bex started this ministry, Child of Hope, in Uganda. And Moses is from Uganda, and he said that when he was growing up, um, there was conflict, and soldiers came through his village, and he and a couple of others were the only ones who survived. And he said, the Lord spared us. And he said, ever since then, he just felt he owed his life to the Lord, and he poured his life into this ministry in Uganda, and married an English girl called Bex from Dorset, and they just had such sweet testimonies and real sort of handle on God's grace. But they were very proactive and very generous. And together, they started this ministry based initially around a school called Child of Hope, where they took a child from many families in this slum, this refugee area in somewhere called Mbali. And they've done this for about a quarter of a century. And over the decades, poured their lives into this and they've seen such good fruit through education, and they offer health care and help local mothers start businesses. And uh, my wife, Emily, was involved in um, establishing a link between Child of Hope and a school in Salisbury. And then two weeks ago, we were visited by someone from, um, uh, from England, but they're out in U Uganda with Child of Hope at the moment, and they brought pictures and videos and stories of all the wonderful things that are happening with Child of Hope, and a couple of the young people who are familiar to Emily and I, how they've grown and they're doing well, and one of them wants to be a vet, another one's teaching in the school, and it's just so good to see how these people who've been invested in, in the name of God, in this very, very difficult area, are flourishing. It's amazing the difference which can be made when God's people invest generously in the lives of others. And we witnessed that last week with Elaborate and Trussell Trust and Street Pastors, these ministries doing the stuff of the kingdom. Jesus fed the multitude. In his parable of the Good Samaritan, he commends the Good Samaritan for taking care of the one who's been left for dead on the street. And he pays for them to go into hospital and then visits them afterwards. Jesus has ascended, but his spirit is with his people, helping us to be his hands and his feet in our own time. God's generosity is seen at harvest in the crops we enjoy, the food we enjoy. His redemption of us shows his generosity. And then it's a privilege as God's own people being led to imitate our generous God and to be able to be linked in with God's transforming work today. And I'd like to finish with a quote from 
John Wesley, which he wrote in the, I think it was the late 1700s, to a bunch of new Christians. He wrote, continually endeavor to know and love and resemble the great God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of love and pardoning mercy, and labor as you have all opportunity to do good to all people, friends or enemies. Amen.